Welcome to the Green and Growing Podcast with Sarah Nurswick and Hannah Wedger. The mission of Green and Growing Education is to empower agriculture teachers to find fulfillment through connection and community that will really cultivate confidence. Get hyped for new ideas, inspiration, motivation, and candid conversations with agriculture teachers just like you. Let's Let's go. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of the Green and Growing podcast. It is Hannah here, and I have a special guest, um, Mr. The Jason, the Jason from California is here, and he's going to talk about CDEs and LDEs, and we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty, um, but without further ado, I'm going to let him introduce himself a little bit further. Awesome. All right. Well, hi, Uh, My name is Jason Ferreira, as Hannah mentioned, and I am a 10th year agriculture teacher in the Golden State of California. I teach at Hanford High School, uh, which is a unique program in ag education because our district has three comprehensive high schools that are all one FFA chapter and one ag program but we're split amongst three high schools. So Hanford FFA has approximately 1,000 FFA members on a good day. And uh, we have nine ag teachers in our department. So I teach with eight other teaching partners. And uh, those of you that teach in a small department, you might think of how envious that could be to be in such a large department, but Some days it has its perks and some days it has its drawbacks, Um, but nonetheless, I love teaching the agri-science classes in our agri-science pathway. Uh, I teach our sustainable agriculture biology, our chemistry in agri-science, and our advanced agri-science systems management. Yes, when you say eight other teaching partners, I'm like, that, wait, what? Like, you guys must get a lot of stuff done. Okay, clarification. A thousand students. Are you? Do you guys have an affiliate program? Okay. Yes, we are affiliated. So every every student that is enrolled in any of our agriculture courses automatically is enrolled in FFA. Okay, that helps me understand that a little bit more. (laughs) That's so awesome, though. A thousand students. I think some of the chapters within Minnesota are like 20, 30, that sort of thing. So that's a that's a big number for me to wrap my mind around. We have you on today, Jason, to talk about CDEs and LDEs. And so I, this is something that I love to hear other people talk about. Um, And specifically, I like to know, like, what is the CDE or LDE that you are the most fond of and or you're probably going to be the most competitive in that CDE as well. So tell us your secrets. Tell us which one you're most excited about. Well, I keep myself quite busy with coaching CDEs and LDEs for our department. Uh, Our department requires that our staff coaches a minimum of one to two CDEs and LDEs uh, throughout the school year. The one that I have latched onto and just run like the wind with is the AgriScience Fair research projects um, about Seven years ago, I was approached to implement the AgriScience Fair projects into my classroom and kind of just started off with, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel confident, but 
I'm going to try it. We're going to see how it goes. And within the first couple of years, I developed this extreme passion for what it did to transform my entire classroom, to transform the way that I approached teaching, and from the way that students in turn felt successful about what they've learned. Uh, AgriScience Fair for me is one of those ways to teach a student something that can turn into the three circle model seamlessly. Classroom yeah. instruction, students get that scientific process, that inquiry-based learning approach, that uh, I'm in charge of my learning, I'm gonna do something that most interests me, that I find a passion for, and then I sprinkle a little bit of that SAE component and the fact that it does cross over as an SAE. And then the last part, which is that cherry on top of the Sunday, is you get to take this to a competition and you yeah. can get some awards, some <laughs> ribbons, some plaques, that kind of stuff. And the students have really bought into how transformative AgriScience Fair can be for their entire educational career. And then after high school as well. Absolutely. Now you, we, we know you love AgriScience Fair. Are there any others that are like, oh yeah, that's a close second? Yeah, definitely. So I coach the BIG in California. It's the best informed green hand. I think in other states, they call it the quiz bowl or the knowledge test, that kind of stuff. Um, but that's purely freshmen. And I've always had freshmen. I've taught freshmen all 10 years that I have been an agriculture teacher mm -hmm. and I love being able to hang out with those first year members and teach them some really neat things about FFA that they didn't know before they checked the box to sign up for an ag class and then travel all over the state with them competing in these knowledge quiz competitions. Um, these students are the ones that once they're exposed to all of the things they learn through the knowledge quiz bowl competition, they're inspired later to be like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I'm going to participate in this and I'm going to compete in that. And so that's my close second. And uh, every year at state, we've been in the top five, um, but we have yet to secure that first place finish. Last year, we were second in the state and it was just... <laughs> So heartbreaking because we were in a full pandemic. We were distance learning for much of the approach to that. And so this year we were coming back with some vengeance. It feels like this year is your year. I can just, I can feel it in my bones right now. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned this a tiny bit, but how do you and your co-teachers handle who's responsible for the CDs? You said that um, each teacher has to choose to pick one or two CDEs to coach, but how do you kind of handle that part of it? Like who gets what, that sort of thing. When we meet as a department over the summer and discuss our chart of responsibilities, one of the discussions is what CDE and LDE teams do what we want to coach. But first we discuss a little bit about the pathways that we teach in and a little bit about the courses that we are teaching so that we can connect our coursework and our pathways to what it is that we're coaching. And that really helps us not only to recruit students to participate in those CDEs and LDEs, but it also allows us opportunities to 
match our curriculum to what it is that we're going to be coaching our students in. And so most of our CDEs and LDEs fall within our pathways and or our courses we teach. So for example, our floral teacher, she is the coach of our floriculture team and uh, she's, she's in charge of the entire plant science pathway. And so she runs with that. Our vet science teacher is in charge of our veterinary science CDE team. Um, so she runs full speed in the wind with that. And so we really try to make sure that what we coach falls within our wheelhouse and mm -hmm. falls within our curriculum and our pathways. And then if there's anything that doesn't necessarily fit within a pathway, uh, for example, like the BIG team doesn't mm -hmm. really fall within a pathway, so to say, that's kind of up for grabs for teachers that have that grade level of students that participate specifically. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, so our creed coach doesn't really have a connection to a pathway, but if it's a freshman teacher, a freshman team, freshman coach, that kind of stuff. That makes sense. Trying to, it sounds like kind of reduce the workload of like, you're not learning new content to try and teach or cross-curricular like it's your content it's your wheelhouse it's the kiddos that you have in your classroom so it's hopefully pretty seamless is what it sounds like to me yeah um okay so thinking about practices thinking about um, there's a lot of work to be put into getting kids prepared um, for CDEs and LDEs. Do you incorporate any community partners or businesses into your practices? Going back to agri-science here, that is the one aspect of why I call that my number one is yeah. the industry connection. I have found that students that conduct agri-science research experiments with a business or industry partner are typically the ones that A, invest a little more into it, and B, those are the ones that really get a lot out of the experience by working in a laboratory or working in the field or working with somebody who has, let's be honest, more education than us ag teachers have because they have the knowledge, skill, and degrees within that field of whatever it is that they're working in. So last year, I would travel with my students to, to conduct their research experience with various businesses. We had one student that conducted an experiment on evaluating the effectiveness of chloropicrin soil fumigation practices on reducing the nematode populations in pre-planting orchard soils. And so he met with a PCA. We collected soil samples. We took those soil samples to Nematodes Limited. And that's a, that's a soil sampling business that samples specifically for nematodes and we analyzed chloropicrin fumigated soils versus non-fumigated soils to collect the data on the effectiveness of it. This student wants to be a PCA so he was lit up. He was excited. He didn't want to leave and that was a feeling that an agriculture teacher can only wish that they would have from students that just don't want to leave these unique experiences. Another student, we traveled to the Lincove Research Station, uh, which is primarily researching citrus fruits. And okay. she did a comparison of 
different damages on fruits and how it impacts their BRICS sugar level to determine if damaged fruit are still of quality to be able to utilize within juicing or within food production. Uh, so she got to work with the scientists at the research lab, use the refractometers to measure the juice samples. And I also learn so much. And that is another cool part about it is as ag teachers, we're lifelong learners. And so take your students to all of their SAEs or their, their CDE practices and whatnot, and just sit there and learn with them and soak it up. And so I try my best to provide students those connections to the industry. And I try to find them as best as possible. But I also employ my students like, hey, find someone that you know, whether it be a family member or a family friend or whatnot, and let's bring them in and learn from them. And it does truly transform your practices and the way that you approach coaching or teaching students about topics. So one question I had as you were chatting is how are you find how do you go about finding these community partners um, like the Neiman Toads Limited like that sounds so cool how do you go about finding that connection for those students? So that one student was already interested in being a PCA that was kind of his career path. So when we were planning his agroscience project, we tried to focus on that okay. uh, aspect of the industry and his grandfather was a PCA for a local PCA company who actually worked with the, the Nematodes Limited company. So he had that connection through his grandfather and okay. he was able to, to, to work around uh, that connection. The student that was with the UC Lincove, I actually have a close friend of mine who is a operations plant manager for a local citrus packing house who also works with the local research facility on citrus production. And so I had that connection through a friend of mine. Sometimes it's just a simple Google search. Um, I had a student that did a, a comparison of milk fat percentages to determine if milk fat percentage impacted lactose concentration within milk samples for those people that might be sensitive to lactose is that going to be impacted by milk fat percentage? And so I just Googled the local DHIA office and come to find out, funny story, the manager of our local DHIA office happened to be my coworker's brother-in-law. Oh. And I had no idea. I didn't know anything until my coworker was like, so you met my brother-in-law? So, you, so you're working with my brother-in-law and I'm like, what is going on here right now? Um, so that was a neat little connection to have there, but it's sometimes just a, a Google search or who you know. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love those connections too that just pop up that you're like, oh, wait, what? Um, and I feel like sometimes those connections really like get buy-in from those companies to support your chapter as well. And kind of like, wow, they're doing some really cool stuff over at Hanford. Um, thinking about kiddos, like you had mentioned earlier when we were talking before we started recording that you had a food science team, um, you've had kids in BIG, how do you recruit your kiddos? So we know egg science, it's in the classroom, but those other CDEs and LDEs, how, how do you go about recruiting them? First thing we try to do is introduce 
the curriculum to the students before we even try to pump up the CDE or the LDE. And that could be through an in-class activity that we conduct with the students. Uh, it could be through an FFA meeting activity that we do with the students. And once the students kind of get their feet wet with, oh, what is this food science stuff? Oh, this is really cool. We're tasting different food products to determine um, real versus artificial, or we're tasting different food products to determine which one is sodium free. And yeah. then they start to realize that not only are they learning about something that's related to a future career, but when they can take what they just learned or, or learn, learn about something and take that into a competition realm, it really helps students buy in because they're realizing that it's not something extra that they have to do. And that's really the part that I would hone in on any teacher is try to get it to where you approach your CDEs and LDEs that it's not something extra for your students, mm -hmm. but rather it's something that is connected to what they've already learned, experienced, or are going to learn. And I found that students feel a little bit more comfortable about signing up for uh, whether it's the job interview competition or the prepared public speaking or that food science and technology team, they feel much more adept to be able to follow through with it if they know something already or they know that they're going to learn something and then they can just apply it to the competition. That's really how I recruit. And then of course I'd throw in all the fun things like I'm gonna give you cool prizes. We're gonna eat food during practices. I'm gonna travel all over the state of California with you. And that kind of sells them a little bit too. But really the biggest part is if they don't have to feel like they're doing more than what they're already doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, thinking about practices and stuff like that, what does a typical practice schedule or routine look like? I know that's one thing that egg teachers like to know is like, how much are you practicing? Well, thank you to COVID. And this is, <laughs> this is a huge thank you to COVID. I have completely transformed the way I approach training my students and my teams because prior to COVID, it used to be Everything had to be in my classroom, a meeting with students, whether one-on-one -on -one or the whole group at the same time, whether it was before school, after school, during lunchtime. And that was difficult as a coach to be able to manage a large group of students' schedules as well as my own schedule. Yeah. And so finding a time where we could squeeze in five, 10, 15, an hour's worth of training was sort of daunting, especially if you had a large variety of CDEs and LDEs that you coached. And then when COVID hit and it was like, okay, we can't meet in person to do this. I had to rely on technology to be able to implement some of my trainings. And whether it was a Zoom call or a Google Classroom where students could do independent activities yeah. separately, um, I have transformed the way that I approach coaching my students and I will continue from here on out to offer a virtual or an electronic training aspect to my coaching as well as an in-person. I know that there's those teachers and students that thrive off of the in-person. Yeah. There's some teachers that uh, that's the only way they're going to coach their students and, and I, I 
I will do my best to provide that in-person opportunity, especially since competitions are going to go back in person. But training virtually, I found works and it's much easier to manage schedules because a student can go to a soccer practice, get out at 6.30, be home by 6.45, jump on a Zoom with me at 7 o'clock p.m. while I'm at home as well, and we can do something for 30 minutes from 7 to 7.30 without me having to stick around at school or mm -hmm. them stick around at school, and they can even be eating their dinner while, yeah. while they're doing it, or they can be munching on a snack or sitting in their PJs, and so trainings for students have definitely transformed due to COVID, um, but minimum one to two times per week meeting with those students, whether face-to-face -face or um, electronically or virtually, just to keep them in the motivated zone. You, uh, why did I not think about continuing that into the like next school year of having those trainings? Because my biggest thing is, you know, I have some kiddos at home and so to stay after school and to stay after school, you know, after sports for students and a time that works for them typically is kind of difficult and requires a lot of like juggling of like my schedule and my children's schedule and my husband's schedule. And then like you said, your students, multiple different schedules where if I can still coach them in a space at 7 p.m. after my kids have went to bed, that is magical, Jason. Sheesh, why did I not think of that? That's so silly. <laughs> We think about like we're, you know, we're headed back to the school and, and what we've done. And I think it's good to just pause for a second. Like, okay, what worked? What was, what went well? How can I utilize that to, to save myself some time? To add on to that, I also think it helps students feel more confident and comfortable uh, recruiting to the team, knowing that sure. you're going to provide a flexible schedule because a lot of the issues that we have with students not wanting to commit isn't that they're not interested, but they're not willing to commit to the time schedule that we have. And so for me, I am willing to compromise with the students and my schedules to provide an opportunity and experience for a student that otherwise would shy away from it because of a strict specific time schedule. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. Um, Cause sometimes you have those kiddos that are in, you know, they're in sports, they're in other clubs outside of um, FFA. And so if they can have some flexibility to be able to work that in and get that FFA experience, how powerful is that for them? Um, okay. So you had mentioned one to two times a week that you are um, preparing for um, qualifying. Um, and then after you have a team that qualifies for nationals, how does that practice schedule change up for y'all? One of the biggest um, successes in coaching students after qualifying or getting them ready for the, what I consider the ultimate championship is to get them in front of other people besides you. Mm. You, you as the coach have done what it takes to get them to the spot where they're in. But at this point in time, my success goes to somebody else because I want fresh eyes. I want new perspectives. I need them to be in front of people that don't have all the background knowledge of what it took to get them 
to the point that they are at. Mm -hmm. So that's when I start getting them with other people who are in industry, are uh, familiar with what the ultimate end goal looks like, state staff, uh, people who have judged prior, um, people who have coached prior as well. And it's, it's not only healthy for me as the teacher, but it's healthy for the students to hear that different perspective, that different voice, and to know that what they have done is being now either reassured or refined by that new voice that they're hearing from. So students that are competing in my um, LDEs, like prepared job interview, um, I walk away completely from doing anything with them related to listening to their speeches, answering questions, because I've already done enough of that to get them where they're at. Now yeah. it's time for a new, fresh voice and perspective. So use and abuse your stakeholders, people who are in your business and industry and in your community, other staff members, and let them sort of take the reins from there. Yeah, I know a friend, um, another ag teacher who grabbed like the speech and debate coach from their school and pulled her in to just uh, quite honestly rip the kids apart and after they've made it, you know, and have them kind of be beat back down so that they know that they still have a lot of work to do to get um, you know, to that highest level. So I agree with that pulling in those other people that it's not you, like you've said, you, you've given them everything that you know, to get them to that point. So bringing in those other people to get them further. So good, Jason. Okay. So we're thinking about a new teacher. They are just maybe getting into a semi-normal school year. Maybe they've taught for a year. What advice do you have for a new teacher just starting the coaching aspect of CDEs and LDEs? Advice number one, don't do it unless you enjoy it. That's my <laughs> first piece of advice. Many times I see people that will try to do something because the students want to do it or they'll try to do it because oh this is what everybody's doing and it's the cool thing or sometimes they'll be like i have to do this because i was told this this that if you don't invest in it and you don't want to do it don't do it because that will be reflective in your practice it'll be reflective in the way you approach it and it won't be as successful as it could be if you had um, a specific vested interest, if you had a passion for it and whatnot, um, which totally goes against how I started with AgriScience Fair because somebody just kind of brought it to my attention and was like, you're going to do it. And it molded, but that's kind of an, an anomaly at that point. <laughs> but as a newer teacher, try to do something you want to do and that you're interested in because you're going to buy in more to it. And then further, your students will buy into it because they see you have bought into what it is that you're doing. The second piece of advice is find your resources and, and, and go through all the resources you can get before you start your approach to coaching. Have a, a laid out plan of action in regards to what it is that you're gonna do so that from day one, your students know 
that you're not just on the fly with this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Because again, some of these things are outside of class. They're outside of sports. They're outside of personal time. You're taking a chunk of their life that they could be sitting at home playing video games, or you're taking a chunk of their life that they could be on a vacation with their families and have that game plan sort of spelled out in terms of, we're gonna take field trips to go visit this place that's gonna help teach us about this aspect or this competition, or we're gonna meet on this day at a restaurant and have pizza while we're practicing because everybody knows that food equals fuel and so it's gonna fuel our practice. And so if you have a game plan before you ever start, it'll make you and the students feel a little bit more adept to stay focused and motivated with it. And then the last piece of advice is you won't win your first year. And if you do, congratulations, that's awesome. You are, you're super, you're stellar if you do. But just know that you won't win your first year and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That is okay if you don't win your first year because sometimes the lessons we learn after failure come back next year as fuel to the fire to do better. Mm -hmm. And if anything I've learned is I've learned that being humble in your wins, but also being willing to learn when you fail is really gonna make the difference when your students see that next year it's ours, we got this. Yeah. Yes. Yes, so good, so good. I love it so much. I'm feeling fired up now. <laughs> yeah, woo! <laughs> Jason, if anybody has any questions for you, where can they find you at? You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Um, if you just type in my name, Jason Ferreira, you'll see uh, my Facebook pop up. You might also see my fitness Facebook pop up. Um, I am a part-time group fitness instructor with the InShape Gyms Corporation, uh, which is the only way I stay sane throughout this <laughs> ag teaching profession, um, is having my friends at the gym um, to be able to blow some steam off there. Um, or you can contact me, um, cell phone, 559-471-9136. Hopefully my number doesn't change. Or you can find my email um, if you just go to Hanford High School and or Hanford FFA, and you'll find um, my contact information there as well. Jason, thank you so much for being our specialist teacher today and sharing all your great tips and tricks. I know like I said, I'm feeling fired up. So I know there are going to be listeners out there who are going to feel fired up after they listen to this episode. Thanks so much. Thanks.